I'm Misha Likaros, and you're listening to Digipod, the official podcast of IMAP, the Internet and Mobile Marketing Association of the Philippines. This podcast is powered by Podcast Network Asia and Podmetrics. Hello and welcome to Digipod, the official podcast of the Internet and Mobile Marketing Association of the Philippines. I'm your host, Misha, and we are here today to talk to two of the men who are leading the charge as far as online humor goes in the Philippines. Now, as part of IMAP's mission, each episode of Digipod will take a deep dive into digital marketing and advertising topics through conversations, case studies, and insights from experts all over the world. Today, I am joined once again by none other than my one and only co-host, Mr. Dennis Perez, Unilever Philippines Media Director and IMAP External Vice President. Welcome, Dennis. Hello, Mish. I'm back. Welcome back. <laughs> you have had quite the year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of course, like we, we just finished Digicon. We finished Boomerang Awards. Quite busy. But um, yeah, thank you so much for hosting so many episodes now for Digipod. I know you've been joined by a lot of co-hosts from IMAP. But I'm really happy to be back for this episode. Want to hit your target market with just a fraction of the cost? Dive into the blue ocean of podcast advertising, the medium that makes sure that retention and conversions equals your ROI. What are you waiting for? Schedule a demo today at advertiser.podmetrics.co. Absolutely. And you picked a really good episode to come back on. As I mentioned just now, we are going to be talking about humor. Humor has always been uh, a part of Filipino pop culture. If you look at it, we're a really fun country. We're fun individuals here in the Philippines. And it's just natural for us to really inject humor into everything that we do. And uh, one thing that, that but, but of course, because of the pandemic, because of the recent events as well, I think humor has um, turned into a, sort of like a, a escape for, for Filipinos nowadays. And, uh, you know, and, and because of that, the role of humor has been elevated. That's, that's my perspective. There are several brands who are able to latch onto that and use that effectively in driving their brand messages and communication. Absolutely. And I am hoping that our two guests today will be able to help shed more light on this. I agree completely with what you said. I think a little irreverence is good, get, especially getting people through the tough times that we've been facing over the past year and a half, two years at this point. So our topic for today is humor marketing. And we've invited some social media personalities who have maximized humor when working with brands. We're going to be talking about how humor is used in marketing, how you can leverage humor for better engagement. And if you are known as a serious brand, is there space for humor? Our guests for today are here to answer these questions. Please join us in welcoming Mr. George Royeka of Ancas and Carl Mack of PGAG. Hey guys, what's up Misha? How, how are you, Dennis? Hello, Carl. Hey guys, good to be here. Excited for the chat today. Yeah, we have a very nice topic. And I know these guys for quite some time. They're really funny <laughs> in person. And uh, I think their personality reflects much on what they do uh, for PGAG, of course, and also ANCAS. So they're really, really interested to pick your brains when it comes to this, especially from a, from a brand person on how we can leverage this uh, to uh, bring better effectiveness to what, what we do in, in communication. Thank so you, serious Jeremy. meeting pala ito, kala ko magpapatawa lang kami. 
Okay, so let's get started. First off, I'd like to say thank you to everybody for making time in your busy schedules to join us. Let's just dive right into it. I am a big fan of the funny, hilarious, irreverent, ridiculous content that both of your platforms generate, and I'm looking forward to going into it. So our first question is for Carl. Could you tell us a little bit about how your social media branding started? Was that intentional or was it something that just happened organically? So thanks for that question. I think for context, we are a company that got founded because we were making memes on social media quite a bit in Singapore. And we had managed to um, gather quite a number of followers in Singapore. And, you know, when we thought about international expansion or regional expansion, the question was, where would we go next, right? And when we looked into the data uh, and the insights from our Facebook page in Singapore called ASCAC, we saw that we were actually attracting four to five million Filipinos weekly. And the question was, why? We were so confused. <laughs> and so literally... We, we jumped on a plane to Manila. I remember our first trip and we sent out a post on ASGAG and we said, look, we're coming to Manila and we want to meet up with anybody who wants to hang out with us, right? And to our surprise, like a couple of hundred people registered and we, you know, did coffee at Greenbelt. It was our first trip ever to Manila. And the question was, why are you following us? on SGAG, like what's it got to do with you? Like, why are you so interested? Because everything we make in SGAG is in Singlish. It's about Singapore uh, cultural references and, and daily happenings. And, and we found that a lot of Filipinos who had worked in Singapore or have family in Singapore one way or another have grown an interest in the memes that we were making. And so the hypothesis we had was, hey, what if we made something in the Philippines? Do you think there's a market for it? What's the meme scene like? And this was back in like 2017, 2018. And they were like, mm -hmm. oh, there is nothing like you guys. You should open here. And so that's what we did. We, we opened a um, very small team and we put two people on the team just to churn out some Tagalog memes and making sure everything was sort of the way that we would do it in Singapore, non-political, non-controversial uh, just good, clean memes, right? And and that was something uh, that we planned. And we had the privilege of, of just sort of watching that grow over the last couple of years. So that's our story. Well, um, to be perfectly honest, I actually lived for five years in Singapore. And I can it vouch is. also hey, that... Too. I can vouch... Oh, fantastic. My wife is Singaporean, which is definitely <laughs> not funny. <laughs> I was going to say that, you know, some of the things that we find funny, that, that's just universal. So I'm not surprised that there was some crossover appeal. And I think one of the first memes or video, funny video that I, I, I actually watched in SGAG, which forced me to then follow them right after, is this good collaboration between a Filipino OFW living in Singapore and, you know, like mocking the references of, you know, um, living in the Philippines and the verses like living in Singapore and the contrast that was really really funny and of course for an OFW for like me living in Singapore then I think I can truly relate but even for Filipinos that that's kind of funny because it sort of gives a big contrast of the inconvenience that we 
we have in this country, but spin it off in such a way that, you know, just like brush it aside and laugh, laugh about it and, and things like that. So was it intentional, Carl, or is it, was that an experiment that you did uh, just to test the waters of how you can enter the Philippines? Yeah, you know, great spot on that one because that was actually one of the first videos we put out. I think it was probably uh, in their second week on the job uh, and we had flown the first two team members to Singapore for their onboarding. And, you know, we gave them this experiment. It was more of like a prototype, an MVP of, of what they were going to make. And they had this idea of sort of playing on, you know, life in Philippines versus life in Singapore. And, you know, it went viral on Reddit. I think it was picked up quite a bit through the forums. And I think it it's currently at 12 million organic views on Facebook. And we were like, wow, like this is crazy because we have never seen numbers like that before because Singapore is such a tiny country. But just to have a glimpse of the potential of digital content hitting out in the Philippines, we were so excited. I, I think everybody was so excited. Uh, to be honest, it's been hard to keep up with that kind of performance but that was uh that was the first ever piece we put out so that was fun for us well, well, what's interesting with what carl said is that you know it's also like an mvp stage when it comes to crafting humors it looks like there's a process it looks like sort of similar to performance marketing not just like you know dropping something and just you know being funny but i think there's like a bit of science behind it and maybe we'll, we can pick that up later during the conversation i would like to go to george now and Ankas is quite known for funny memes, you know, and, and really moment marketing at its best. Uh, I still remember that funny ostrich. <laughs> that, that was, it was so was random. We were so of random. Course, ostrich in a, in, in a village in Manila is already random, but how Ankas latched on it, made it funny, made it viral, was really best in class when it comes to it. And I, you're, you're quite known when it comes to that, George. So my question is, like, you know, is it really intentional for a cast? When, when you built like a transportation company, was it from the start, you know, this, is a, this will be a funny transportation? To, to be honest, I'd also like to know the answer to that because with PGAG and SGAG, it made sense. They were a publishing outfit. They want to create eye-catching content. But you're right. Ancas is a transportation platform. Uh, what made you guys turn to humor? You know, I mean, like what Ben said earlier, humor has always been part of uh, Philippine pop culture. I mean, there are two things that Filipino does really well. Fall in love and laugh, right? Those are two things. Filipinos are always in love or they're always like cracking jokes or want to hear jokes and, you know, make light of life. Um, and I, I wouldn't say that it was deliberate in the beginning, but definitely humor was definitely part of one of the ways that we communicate to our audience. Um, what we wanted to do was make sure that, you know, since there was so much issues around transportation, I mean, traffic is such a heavy, heavy, heavy thing to bear every single day. When you think of traffic, you always get irritated and it's always going to end up, you know, in the wrong side of any type of argument. So we wanted to kind of make light of the, light of the situation. I think one of the first ever um, memes that we put out was, uh, was uh, Bozo the Clown. Pennywise, I'm sorry, yes, Pennywise. Bozo is from a, a different um, show. Um, so he was under in, inside the canal, and he was saying, um, there's no traffic here. So that was one of the first uh, memes that we put out. And you know, people responded, right? Because I guess it's out of frustration. When you're super frustrated, Filipinos tend to you know, try to laugh it off as much as they can. And uh, 
yeah, it's fine. So that, that's what, that's that's how we actually evolved to being you know um, really focused on humor and being very very heavy. We tried love, but you know it didn't work. <laughs> Nobody falls in love, right? Or our drivers. It's kind of creepy. So let's, let's just drop that. That doesn't work. So um, I think your condom meme is the closest to love. Let's yes, yes, that uh, one. <laughs> If you don't mind our asking, something that Dennis said earlier, um, what you guys actually excel at is the timeliness of jumping onto current trends and just somehow always hitting the nail on the head. Um, how Can you tell us a little bit how that process goes or how that developed? When did you guys decide that you would always be the first ones to be making fun of things as they happen? Yeah, so basically in, in the beginning, right? So in the beginning, we just had a bunch of community managers. And I guess it's also, you know, identifying and recognizing the talent that you have. We had one community manager that was very, very good and you know, just, um, you know, making, you know, the remarking and things or having such a, you know, uh, with the remark on certain issues. And again, the, the organization recognized that and we actually have, you know, him focus on that only, you know, solely. And I think, what we did was um, within our organization, we had to decide very quickly whether we would, you know, because moment marketing, as fun as it may seem, is also very dangerous, right? Because if you allow them to do whatever you they want, um, you, there has to be some level of freedom because if they have to wait for approvals, then it won't be moment marketing. Sometimes you won't be able to kind of catch the bus. Um, so... I've adopted very, very early on. I adopted a um, you know ask forgiveness and permission um, rule with specific things, <laughs> and we've kind of um, created parameters around that over time. We've had a lot of misses, like you know, we've had a lot of like really, really bad misses that we had to take down the post. We got in trouble so many times, also. So we've corrected that along the way and kind of found a way to institutionalize that um, in within the organization. But yes, it can happen. Hold on. I'm a bit interested in that. Um, this one, I'm going to ask for both of you gentlemen. Tell us about some of the posts that didn't work. What, uh, what, did you ever have to apologize, actually apologize for anything? Yeah, dude. Uh, it's my, one of my guys made a post, um, which at that time I thought was really funny. Um, and then they actually asked me whether they take it down um, after like a few a few woke was really really sensitive about it, um, so I said, "No, nah, just keep it. Uh, it's, it's gonna blow over." That's a big mistake. It was um, I, they he, he made that sex akin to the first time that he took a motorcycle, rode a motorcycle, and people didn't like that, right? Because of course there's a guy there, and you know, it was just completely out of whack, and um, you know, not not really the best in, in best form. So we had to take that down and we suffered significantly. I mean, not just with us. We I had senators calling me. The, the chief wow. of police made a statement um, in the media um, about it. Um, you know, and you know, it just it just went overboard and that was that was a major, major uh, setback for us. I'm glad you, you still managed to smile after that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's nothing else you can do. I mean, I had seminars for sexual harassment, <laughs> you know, after that. And there was like a whole company-wide initiative and effort to make sure that, you know, we weren't seen as, you know, these, these types of people. Um, and that we do respect, um, you know, um, these sensitive issues and know what the implications are. Um, so that was a very, very good learning experience for us. And that, that, that became now part of our handbook. Right? So that's now part of the parameters. These are the things that 
are non-negotiable. She can't go to sensitive topics and we have to tread with care. And doesn't mean that we're not ever going to go through it um, and discuss it, but at least uh, people know what the implications are. They have, they're able to kind of uh, sift through the different possibilities. Okay. How about for you, Carl? Did you have the same experience, whether in PGAG or SNAG? Well, for sure. I think the rules change, right? What's permissible or what's acceptable culturally is a line that keeps moving and it's a line that's different from for each country as well. Um, and in many ways, I think we're kind of glad that we started off in Singapore because Singapore is kind of like the worst place for press freedom, right? Or journalistic freedom in that sense. The government is so strict with everything. You could literally get jailed for tweeting something or leaving a comment somewhere and they would track you down, right? So I think starting off from Singapore, it was kind of a good place where we kind of had rules from the get-go. For example, there's no way we're talking about politicians, right, in Singapore. There's no way we're talking about religion or right. uh, sex, for example. It's not something we can cover in Singapore. It's just not allowed. But we've had our fair share of uh, similar experiences to what George mentioned. And, and I want to reference an experience in Malaysia just last year. It was super interesting because we were just looking at the announcements uh, coming out from the COVID task force. Uh, in Malaysia. And, you know, the joke was, oh, what if the COVID task force chairman was reporting daily numbers with a nice suit on top, but he was wearing boxes below, like everybody does when they work from home. So we made kind of like a <laughs> reference to that joke. But what didn't hit us was that in the Muslim culture, the exposing of the knees is is completely insensitive. It's completely religiously insensitive. And this was made by a non-Muslim colleague, right? And the, the meme went viral, right? And it was covered by every news outlet within the next 12 hours. We had death threats coming our way. Um, we had people threatening us in uh, every manner. And the ex-prime minister, Najib, who was ousted for corruption, put out an essay on his Facebook post telling politicians and telling the government, like, don't use the meme that they put up to distract your failures, to, to, to distract the country about your failures in dealing with COVID. So it became a whole political thing starting from our meme. And it was just crazy, right? So we had to lay low for a couple of days. I, I think looking back, it's something that would go down in one of our sort of history books as one of the most epic memes uh, and, the, and the damage or the impact cost. But certainly, it's part of the business. It's part of the game. I think it's like what George said. Is it's really about how do you recover from that? What do you learn from that experience? And how do you make sure things like that don't happen again? It takes, well, I, mean, I can say it. It's, it's not everybody who gets to piss off a head of state. So that is definitely a learning experience, I would imagine. <laughs> And I think that that that, that shows the that, that humor is a double-edged sword, right? So you really need to make sure that you use it properly because it could trigger emotions. Definitely it will trigger emotions, but it could trigger positive emotion. And now I will now lead to working with brands because you know, for me, like in Unilever, we're very careful of you know, like how we're going to communicate the brand, what kind of message we're going to bring out. We know. Humor is a very effective one. But of course, a lot of brands are very cautious, right? especially for serious brands. I mean, humor is not really a part of my DNA, but I need to use it as a vehicle. 
And maybe I would like to pick up from, um, you know, uh, our, our first question with Carl a while ago, where Carl mentioned that, you know, there's sort of like a process, a science behind it, you know, trying to test things out, especially when working with brands. Carl, can you um, give us a, a glimpse of how your team worked with brands in order to craft this um, materials that carry humor, but really fits the objective of the business or the brand that you're um, handling? Well, yeah, I think the first position to start from is why would a brand want to work with a platform like ours, right? I think from the get-go, that was always one of the, the big question marks. And I think in the early days, it was very much people who wanted to use this term guerrilla marketing, who wanted to go viral on social media. They would come to us and say, hey, I want to do an activation or a digital activation with you guys to go viral and get followers. I think that was very sort of the phase one of the social era for us where people were just starting out their Facebook pages, Instagram pages, and they wanted to get followership and they needed to write on a big page like ours to get attention their way. And I suppose the word attention is what they really want. I think a lot of the brands that we work with struggle with getting digital eyeballs because, you know, this shift from traditional ATL marketing where, you know, they were all over billboards, all over TV, all over everywhere. Suddenly everyone's spending time looking at their phones and nobody wakes up in the morning and checks their brand's Instagram page or Facebook page like, oh, what did my favorite bank talk about today? Or what <laughs> did my favorite shampoo brand talk about today? Right. And I think that's why Ankas is brilliant in that sense that you know, people actually go back to their page to check what is Ankas making memes about today because their memes are legendary, right? So naturally, the user journey starts from a point of nobody starts with an intent of going to a brand page on social media. And therefore, to get attention uh, from, from audiences, from the young people especially, you need to sort of find ways around that. And, and I suppose that's the premise of how we work with brands. Like, because we post so much content every day that people come back intentionally for, if your brand were associated or in partnership with us, they would also get a chance to see your brand. Just like how if you place an ad in a magazine, readers of the magazine would chance upon your ad. It's the same principle behind it. So I think that is really where we start from. And, and the second point is, does it work? I think that's one of the big questions we had to ask ourselves. And we had to start measuring because if you think about the whole funnel of a marketing um, sort of uh, a funnel, you would really think about the top of the funnel. We talk about the conversions that you measure all the way downstream. And we have done so many experiments with different types of funnels. And we noticed that it does work. So for example, we ran some campaigns where it's purely about social uh, followership, where we would maybe work with a brand and get people to follow a partner account. Maybe it's a bank, maybe it's a FMCG company. And we might do giveaways, we might do meme challenges, we might do video activations. And there's just so many techniques we deploy. And that usually results in huge acquisition for the brand account. Um, I think in terms of conversions, we also have done so many campaigns around maybe giving an exclusive promo for our audiences where you get a flight at a super discounted price because you're a PCAC follower. And that has sold out 
um, in so many ways for a lot of our airline partners or travel partners, uh, pre-COVID, obviously. And I think that is something that has been proven. And we track these things over time. We measure things over time. There's a lot of science and measurements behind it. We study a lot of metrics behind it. Um, and that's one thing uh, that we look at for, from a campaign level. I think the second thing we look very deeply into is the changing formats, the changing algorithms of the platforms. Keep in mind that Facebook changes its algorithm every month or every week, right, for that matter, in, in big ways and small ways. Instagram changes it for its algorithm, its formats. You have new players like TikTok that come out of nowhere and dominate in, in the attention spans of all the Gen Zs. And I think we study a lot about the impact of our content on these platforms and the formats that work on these platforms. And we even track the meme impact. For example, we look at formats of memes and characters of memes uh, and why certain characters don't work. So for example, we noticed that a certain format with Futurama inside uh, the meme format was always consistently low. And we ran so many experiments across so many countries to actually determine that the Futurama character kills the performance of the meme, right? Um, and we- That is we, sad. <laughs> it's so sad. And we track the memes that go up and go down in terms of formats and they're just, so much to look at from the format perspective as well. So I think when we talk to brands and we share the, these two components coming together to really drive effectiveness in whether conversion or attention or uh, getting them traction on social media, I think a lot of them get slightly overwhelmed. I think they, they go, wow, I, I did not know that there's so much science and art coming together to drive a campaign via memes or funny videos. And, and I think that's when they go, okay, this is really cool. Um, I don't mind giving this a shot. Fantastic. Uh, it's, I like that you touched on the effectiveness of, um, the, of the platform, the messaging with regards to balancing it with the humor. Uh, so that's something I'd like to ask George now. How do you guys actually balance the need for humor versus the need to get a brand message out? I mean, where, where, where is the balance there? How do you maintain that? It's a very good question, Misha. Um, I want to, before I answer that question, I want to you know, uh, fix three misconceptions, right? The first is that Dennis is serious. He's very funny. Very funny, and he's not serious at all. Okay, okay. <laughs> very fun guy. Okay, that's one. Number two, there's a lot of thinking that goes into a a um, I guess it is kit, if a prank or even a comedic um, angle towards things. Right, there is a lot of effort that you put into it. It's not just something that's funny that you put out and you know you know it hit or miss, and we just you know take our blows as we as we get them. So there's a lot of um, information that gets built up over time. Um, and of course, there's a lot of discretion on it, but there was, there's also a lot of thought that's put into that. And number three, um, just because um, I think people kind of um, misconstrue um, um, the brands, they're trying to be funny. And it's just a matter of, oh, let's be funny. Um, and then that'll work, right? And also the flip side of it, if we're funny, then they won't take us seriously, right? So like, for example, a transportation brand like us, if we start doing gutter humor, um, you know, conventional thinking will let tell you that, oh, don't do that because they won't trust you anymore. They, you know, people's lives are in your hands. If you're in a motorcycle, and you're dangerous, considered dangerous, and then so don't make light of the situation, right? So I think the third one is it's about authenticity, right? You need to be authentic to your audience. Now, Remember, 
we're a motorcycle taxi company, but our market, right, is the 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 lower um, income family households, right? So you're talking about people that can't afford to take Grab or or, or uh, taxis and are trying to do make a replacement for trains and jeepneys, right? So they want a little bit more comfort. They can afford a little bit more, but they're still basically the base of the pyramid, right? So these are the people that we've identified as our addressable market and we mm-hmm. need to talk to, right? And we've realized that these guys are the ones that make light of things many, many times over, right? You know, if things are bad because they have, you know, because it's so cyclical, um, their, their economic situation is so cyclical. Um, these are the guys that just always smile. You'll see them in memes and pictures of like typhoons that we've had. And then these are the guys on the boats still smiling, right? And helping <laughs> out. And but they've lost their entire, you know, homes and whatnot. Um, so we we are authentic to that market, right? We are very, very authentic to them. Now you see other brands trying to always put their best foot forward and you know, their 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 entire service is already down, but they're just still saying that hey, you know, uh, let's put up a polished commercial. And then people are telling them instead of putting up a polished commercial, why don't you address your service? So, um, the 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 thinking that making light of it or using humor to communicate your message um, dilutes the message of your brand is completely false, right? First, you gotta be authentic to your audience. Number two, what your service performance or your service level in your brands is completely distinct and separate from how you communicate it to your audience, whether it's a laugh, whether it's about love, or whether it's a serious Hollywood um, commercial um, with all of the bells and whistles, right? Um, those are two different things. I can't help, no matter how much, um, uh, how much, um, I, funny my name is, if your brand sucks, your service sucks, it sucks. And right. people are going to see right through that, especially in social media. It's so immediate in social media. It doesn't take a month or two weeks. It takes literally five minutes for woke people to, to, to see past your, whatever you're trying to do. If you're trying to scam them, if you're trying to make light of the situation in the wrong way, if you're trying to pass off something that it's not, they will catch you. Because you are dealing with thousands and thousands of people. The more successful you are, the more people want to poke holes in it, right? So the first thing that you need to do, especially if you're going to choose that um, path, um, because that is the easiest path to actually to gain followers, to be funny. Mm-hmm. That is the easiest way to do it in the sense, but it's also the hardest because as you build it up, then you have more eyes on you. Um, so I think that's one of the misconceptions that you need to break through um, because um, it's not about being funny, it's about being authentic. Right. And being funny is just a way for you to better communicate that message to a wider audience. Right. Now, if your audience, you know, you know, is, you know, falls in love all the time, then you communicate through a love song. Right. You go to love radio, you know, something like that. So it's, 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 it's about authenticity. And that's first and foremost. Um, and that's how we balance it out. Like when we make a mistake, we say it in a funny way, but we do apologize. Right, we apologize for this, um, and 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 it's 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 angled in a funny way, but the message still stands. It's still there. It doesn't it doesn't change, right? We don't pass it up to something else. If we have a new service, a new brand, or a new uh, product that we're trying to push, um, you know, we we you know we we have the serious side of the brand or FAQs that you can check on the website, you know. But the way we communicate initially 
you know, uh, it, you know, it depends whether it's something that's just a pure information or it is a very, very funny handle. Um, so that's how we kind of balance um, the message and the way we convey that message. But to all brands out there, just be, you know, if you are a high-end brand and you use gutter humor to talk to your audience, obviously that's failure, right? You, you need to know that from the get-go. Otherwise, find another job. But if you are a massa brand, you know, and trying to commit to, to a particular segment of the market, then it doesn't mean just because you put throw gutter humor there that it dilutes your brand in any way, shape, or form. It doesn't. You know, do not underestimate your audience. They're smarter than you think. And if you're building a relationship with your audience, then that means it's a two-way street. You know, you gotta be authentic. You can't build. That's why you can't build a relationship with a brand most of the time because they always have their best foot forward. And that never, never works. And you're, you know, you're living a lie because people kind of see right through that and don't even know. For for brands, all brands have that sort of um, a sliver of humor in a way, you know, in your DNA. Um, and it really depends on you know the degree of humor or fun that brand can really allow to to use. Um, even our serious brands, for example, in Unilever, we can really communicate it in a fun way. So sometimes we have this perception that you know we always need to hit the ball out of the park when it comes to humor. But sometimes we don't need to do that. We just need to communicate that you know we're serious with our product, but we are also flexible to basically have fun and 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 really poke ourselves as well. But we don't need to hit that ball out of the park. We just need to go to the first base. But just to drive that connection with the people that we would like to talk to. And I think that's something that I, that, that resonates with me. And yeah, I'm sure Carl also works with the Singapore government in their COVID campaign. And, um, you know, of course, all of us will say that, you know, there's no humor in politics or no, no humor in government. But um, I think uh, they, they were able to find an angle um, for, for, for the Singapore government. So what more for brands, right? Brands are just basically persona, have a persona as well, just like people, which I, I'm sure um, even the most serious person has that um, sliver of humor um, in him or in her as well. Carl, do you want to talk about um, how you're working with the government and how you're able to find that angle of humor? And maybe you could also talk about you know, you know, how you work with serious brands, just like as serious as the government. And try to see, like you know, how to find that space in an environment where it could be fun or it could be fun. Got it. Um, I think that's a great call out, Dennis. Um, because when we first started um, in Singapore, again with the context that the Singapore government is very progressive in its communication methods, but it's also extremely filled with bureaucracy and red tape, and they are very serious people. So I think they came to us at a point early 2015 with a challenge statement, which is we've been buying digital ads in the form of banners and keywords and it's not working. Young people don't care. Millennials don't care. And we're spending all this money on digital and it's not driving conversations. People are not picking it up. Um, and filling that bucket up with traditional buys on you know, TV and, and 
free to air and, and radio, it's also not hitting the market. So they came to us at a point where the industry was in a transitionary period where digital suddenly switched on so aggressively. And they just spent all this budget on digital with no impact in terms of behavioral change or commun- uh, engagement. So I think they measure campaign success quite differently because ultimately they would communicate policies that would want to have people understand it and maybe change their behaviors towards a certain uh, campaign. And so maybe because they had no choice, they saw that we were engaging all the young people. And by 2015, we were doing 2 million millennials on our platform weekly in Singapore, which is like basically 60% of the entire population. And they were like, oh my God, like are the young people with you? How do you do what you do? And how can we work together? And so we started off with very simple campaigns, for example, of like be friendly to your neighbors or um, after a, a big heavy rain, thunderstorm, remember to clear your pots in your house so that you don't have dengue mosquitoes breeding, Hades mosquito breeding. And these were very simple campaigns, right? And it worked. They saw uh, uplift in terms of conversations on social. They saw people engaging with the content, sharing the content. And actually, um, they engaged the research company to measure sort of the efficacy before and after in terms of taking action. And people were taking action from the content that we were making. So that gave them a little bit of confidence to start experimenting with very serious campaigns. For example, military recruitment. No pressure, no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> like how Not serious at all, Carl? Not at all. Like how? And so they were like, "Yeah, we're struggling with a particular, uh, pretty low sign-up rates for the Navy, so we want you to increase sign-ups, or even increase the number of people who come to the Navy roadshow in the mall, so that they can check out the the ships that we have that are docked at the mall." And we were like, "Okay, this is a little bit." controversial but you got to give us clear permits to film on board and let us let us make sketches on board the, the, the ships the warships and let us talk to your people to show a human side of the soldiers and have fun with us right and and that's what they did they took a big leap of faith they did that with us and i think that was one big hurdle that we overcame because there were all these senior government people who were just shocked that the government had to work with a page like us, like whatever. <laughs> but I think after they saw results over the years and, you know, as, as we tackled more and more challenging campaigns, that gave them the confidence and the familiarity. So for example, now we have a regular course in the civil service college where all the government communication directors and, and staff go through, and we train them on a quarterly basis on what to do, how to work on memes, how to work on funny videos, how to work with TikTok, right? And I think that's something that we never could imagine from day one. So this year, for example, we're talking a lot about COVID, obviously. Why should you get vaccinated? You know, what can you do if you get that uh, COVID? Like there's been just so much engagement since the early days. And I think we have officially checked off all 16 ministries in Singapore from finance to law to obviously uh health. Uh, I think these are some of the things that we never imagined to be able to work on from day one. So I think when it comes to working with very serious brands, the opening position we always take is you're the Ministry of Defense. You are not supposed to be funny at all on your social media, but that's our job. Our page is basically fun, laughter all day. And for you to partner with us, we can say things that you can't say. We can post things on 
on in partnership with you that you can never say. And that doesn't change the fact that the Ministry of Defense is a funny place. It's not. It's the most serious place in Singapore. But that also means that there is authenticity to what George said, that that the people behind the the the, the force is actually they're fun. They're real humans. They enjoy a good laugh too. And to bring out that human side behind this brand of the Ministry of Defense, I think that is something that uh, we managed to crack with them and, and the outcomes have been pretty encouraging. We doubt from what Carl um, said um, to our listeners is that, you know, if you look at the brief of the government, um, it's still pretty much objective-based. I would like to increase the signups on the military. I would like to basically drive this action. Um, maybe for, for George, maybe to use, um, you know, the promo code and basically measure the results. So, um, yeah, so I think just a reminder, and also a good reminder for myself you know, that, that when you use humor, it's not just like you use it in a whim. <laughs> you, just, you also need to basically ensure that it is answering a certain objective. So it's not much different from how we brief campaigns. The only thing different would be, you know, just just put a bit of looseness in, 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 in how you're going to attack the, the creative because you may also get surprised on how things can get solved with humor. Definitely. Um, humor is very, very subjective. So it cannot, absolutely cannot be a case of one size fits all. Uh, so I need to ask uh, Carl, Is so you were already able to establish that humor works even for brands or topics or categories that aren't necessarily known for being humorous. Have you had now the opposite experience with brands coming to you and telling you, make us funny, make us S-gag, make us P-gag, make us go viral, make us funny like you guys. Yeah, I mean, those are usually quite awkward um, because, <laughs> you know, we have one of the best in, in the business doing this. Like, Angas's page is absolutely phenomenal. The kind of memes is very authentic. It's very organic as, as you know, for a brand, right? Um, but I think when we have, for example, a fintech company who's just raised a big round of financing and they want to go viral and they want us to run their Facebook page and they, they want to become a meme page, that's when we go like, that's not what we do. We don't provide that service because it's very inauthentic. It's very, very difficult to, to do something when the DNA of the founders, of the CMO, they're not, they're not even you know, consuming such content to begin with. And they're just doing this for the sake of uh, using the traction as a means to promote their service. And, and that's it, you know, they're not, they're not invested in it. And, and that's when we say, no, I think we don't provide that as a service. And it's really the DNA of the team that, that needs to stand out. And I give an example, maybe referencing Netflix, right? We've seen the kind of viral content and memes that Netflix has made for themselves. And I think they do it in a very, very authentic way as well. And, and it's in their DNA because they, they have these shows that they carry and the team behind it obviously is very, very trendy, very young, very savvy with their approach. And I think it fits their business absolutely, right? It's a great fit and it achieves its mission. So for example, remember when they launched Bird Box, the, the, the movie, and it was so crazy because all the memes that they were setting from their account had become the sort of standard for memes and they were the popular culture sort of reference for every meme format. And that was so crazy just to see Netflix as a company, not just impacting the consumer uh, in terms of what they watch, but also setting meme templates from their shows. And I think that was so authentic. It's brilliant, absolutely brilliant that all of us would use their shows as meme templates and create this 
sort of domino effect and cultural impact. And for for brands that really maybe in, in, in an inauthentic way want to just use it for the sake of going viral in the long term, it just doesn't work out. You will run dry at some point uh, because it needs to be in your DNA. I think that goes back to what both of you were discussing earlier, uh, especially when George brought it up about authenticity, that if it's not authentic to the brand, audiences can really tell if they're being pandered to. I also want to ask something about um, performance marketing, right? And I think this goes to George. Um, and, you know, I, I think a lot of people have this uh, misconception that humor is just used for you to be viral, you know, just for you to be famous, for you just to be talked about. But I think one thing very, very clever with, with Ancas is how, how it, it actually uses humor to also drive um, performance in, 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 in their platform. I really like like how you use Manila Bay Walk Dolomite Beach as a promo code, which is I think the longest promo code I've ever <laughs> space because that's how it's basically spelled in 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 uh, Manila Bay. Yeah. But the, the promo code itself is humor. But if you look at it, it's a promo code that drives sales. So I just want to maybe ask George, like, you know, is it really intentional for you to attach a sales component to humor? And or maybe to rephrase the question, can you tell how brands can then drive real business performance through humor as well? It's uh, it's not necessarily just sales, right? So it's performance metrics, right? So whether it's uh, increasing your engagement, increasing your community, um, but then for what purpose, right? Okay, you got a viral video, it increases engagement. Well, to what end? But it's exactly what you're saying then. It's like, some some brands just want to make a viral video just for the sake of you know you know yay we created a viral video and we're cool people, but it always has to have an end. When you build your community, you also build a kind of community, right? So when you do a viral video, uh, you get you attract a number of people. You also build a kind of people that will go to you on a regular basis. Does that kind of people translate to sales? Does that kind of people buy your product? This is the kind of people, for us, um, in the beginning, it was more of an evolution, right? Um, we, we, were, we had a struggle with the government. So we needed to get mass support. And we realized very, very quickly that, hey, man, we're only in Metro Manila. We only have a few bikers now. There's only a few people. We're not as big as the MRTs or the trains. So the likelihood of you using Ancas um, when you use Ancas, then you, you go through the traffic, your three-hour or two-hour commute becomes 30 minutes or 45 minutes, then you love us. But what is the likelihood that every single Filipino in Metro Manila will be using Ancas? Very, very low, right? So we needed to now, our performance metrics back then is get to know the brand and, and get to, be, to tune into our channel so that we make light of the situation, make, make you laugh, we invoke emotion. And then when you hear, you read us in the headline or the newspaper, or you see me in the news, then you'll be like, hey, I know that guy. Hey, I know that brand. And then there's a connection. That was our performance metrics then. Then that has later evolved to making sure that we get, we, we get the right community in our channels so that we can convert them to actual rides, right? right? So um, the point I was trying to make earlier is that um, I know that I'm not going to get a ride from you ever. So we actually have fans in the Ancas page that has never ridden Ancas, but is a fan of our website. And that works for us, or the fan of our social media page, that works for us because 
these are the people that will have those water cooler. There's no more water cooler now, but we'll have those conversations with friends and family. So sometimes we would do like major campaigns right before Christmas because we know that these guys will go to the Christmas table and we'll start talking about things that are cool. And we want to be in the conversation because I know that when the, when the daughter or the son talks about Angkas' funny thing, the dad will come in and say, do you know that they have a case in the Supreme Court that they're working on? And it becomes a conversation. And hopefully, those types of conversations land in the ears of regulators, senators, congressmen, and we become part of a much bigger conversation about the country. And that has worked very, very well for us. So we're actually engaging our community, not just so that we have, oh my God, we have a viral video. That is really by design. We want people to start talking about us so that those people that do not write Angkas will know of Angkas, will have a, a some sort of affinity towards us. And that is very, very important. When we go out on the streets and we do our rallies and we create traffic, they're not mad at us. They're not saying, oh my God, this is a annoying company again going out on the street. They're like, yes, go, we support you. You made us laugh. We know what you're going through. Please, you know, go ahead and do what you're doing. So that gives us a lot of latitude. That's why we do it. I guess now you have like millions of, you know, um, advocates, and it's all because of the humorous memes that you yes that, that really drove it right i mean like i said it's all about share of mind right so if you're not using a service you're on our social media if you're not on our social media you're i'm, I'm selling you a t-shirt um with you know with a funny brand <laughs> that were safer than condoms which which sold quite well on our e-commerce site actually so it's really about share of mind we want to be able to at that time you think about us at you know, certain points of the day on a regular basis so that we get embedded in people's head. And that worked because um, before us, Habal Habal was really, really fraught with so much negativity, so much um, you know, uh, danger. You know, it was fraught with so many bad things that we wanted to get into people's consciousness in a good way and change that mindset. And that behavioral change was led by humor. And, you know, you have to invoke emotion. When you say something, most of the time, people will forget what you say. People will forget it. What they will not forget is how they felt when you said it. Either you made them cry or you made them laugh. Those are the only two things. You made them cry or you made them laugh. It's deep emotions that we're trying to, to, to pull from people. And humor for us was, the, was that conduit. And it can be for many. You know, I just wanted to jump in and share my personal story um, with Ankas. You know, I've been following their memes for, you know, since I met Angie at a Digicon South in Cebu, and I've been following their memes. And I think a trip in 2019, uh, early 2019, I was in BGC, and I was supposed to head to Makati. Uh, and, you know, being Singaporean, I'm like, yeah, you know, 30 minutes tops, easy. Oh, and you're an optimist. Yeah, it was fine, man. Everything is 15 minutes away. <laughs> I was so like, far. yeah, easy, easy. So I went back uh, to my apartment, dropped my stuff, and I tried to get a taxi. And oh my gosh, like I was not able to get there. And I was supposed to meet Janelle. And I was going to be terribly late because the traffic looked, Google Maps was telling me two hours or something like that. And that's when I was like in panic mode because I didn't want to be late, right? And and then I remembered the memes about cutting traffic. It's like, what is traffic? <laughs> right. And I remembered the Ankas memes. And I was like, oh my God, oh. Ankas, 
That's when I downloaded the app in the lobby of my apartment. I downloaded it, put in my prepaid SIM card number, and I got an Amgas, and I've, I don't ride a bike at all. And I was like, I had a backpack with me, and I was like, what do I do? And he gave me this very nice helmet, and it was nice and clean. I hopped on, and I just told him, sir, just get me there. And <laughs> he weaved through traffic uh, in a safe way that got me there in, what, 20 minutes or less? And I was completely shocked because I made it for my appointment. Mm -hmm. I was early. It was so fun. It was so clean, <laughs> you know, and I was converted once and for all. And every subsequent trip back to Manila, I'm on Ancas. That's it. That's the only thing I'm writing because the Singaporean in me cannot stand traffic. <laughs> And I didn't get to ride bikes in Singapore that much. So I was like, this is so much fun. Uh, so that's, I think, a validation of the memes just seeding the brand top of my mind. The message of what is traffic? Doesn't matter to me. Hold my beer. I'll get you through traffic. And that was just something that came to me. And I think that's the power of memes that we don't actually think about it. It's subconscious in us. The only thing that could top that now is if George tells us he spends four hours every day on PGAG. <laughs> Me and my wife, we do. <laughs> yeah. You know, remember my wife is Singaporean, right? She, 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 you're her Bible for humor, right? She's gonna look at this. She's funny. Like she gets so excited when you have a funny meme, and she's like, she kind of like, uh, you know, that she relates to that, and she's like. She pretends that it's from her, like because it's Singaporean. It's like, hey, look at me, I'm being funny. Like, you're not being funny. The site is being funny, not you. But it's nice that, you know, it is humorous. I'm, I'm, you know, thankful for Carl. You're, you're making a lot more. Um, a lot of Singaporeans convert to humor and become more humorous and have actually a sense of humor, which is I'm very, very happy. And one, that's one. My wife is one of them. So you awesome. made my life very, very well, very, very good. Awesome. Yeah, we're, we're, we're really enjoying this conversation, no? but, but I think we need to put this into a close. And maybe for both of you, Carl and George, um, we would just like to ask, where do you see the future of humor, especially when it comes to marketing? Uh, do you see this evolving, getting bigger, with economies now opening up, hopefully continuously? You know, um, and, and will, will humor still have a place in our hearts you know, as things go back to normal? hopefully again soon. Um, where do you see uh, this heading? Maybe let's start with Carl. Great question, Dennis. I think if you, if you read any Shakespeare at all, you would always know that even in Shakespearean times, they had this person called the court jest who was dressed like a clown and his, his job was simply to make fun of things, to be sarcastic and to just poke fun at everybody and anything. And somebody told me this, you know, if court jests have ex existed since Shakespearean times, you know that humor and sarcasm and making fun of things is just a part of human life. It's just a part of DNA, of DNA as human beings. And humor is not going anywhere. Uh, I think we're taught, we will think about the format of humor. Um, with the rise of short video formats, you know, with the platforms like TikTok fighting Instagram reels, fighting YouTube shorts, I think the evolution of the video format has in many ways become so powerful. And I think just talking to the industry folks, 
short videos is really going to be an exciting place where humor is going to be a big part of the content. And TikTok has kind of exploded through humor um, in many ways. So I think for us, we take a look at the evolution of the platforms. And I think it's humor is going to be an anchor no matter where we go, what format we go to. It's definitely going to exist. It's just in what format, um, how can brands and publishers like us kind of write on it in, in whatever outputs that we're going to uh, publish and upload. I think it's more of that that we're thinking about. And again, how do we win the system? How do we understand the system? How do we help brands leverage on the short video format, for example, um, that will help them achieve their campaign goals or their brand goals? And I think that's something we think about the future quite a bit. And that's for me. Yes, George. I think... Um... Very, very early on during the caveman days, you know, after, you know, fighting with a woolly mammoth or, you know, <laughs> hunting, some guy fell in his club and made everybody laugh, you know, and it kind of like, you know, was a good, good day's work. And I think humor has been there ever since. Um, and, you know, to what Carl said, it's the format, right? You know, there are two, only two things that will ensure without, beyond reasonable doubt, you know, two, two qualities that will make your video viral. Either it's a scandal, which is very <laughs> heavy, right? And, you know, scandals, you can try to make scandals if you want. Good luck with that. That's right? a whole other business. It's a whole other business. <laughs> it's or a new humor. platform, actually. <laughs> or humor, right? Or it's funny. That's, that's, that's where you're, you know, that's where you're pushed to share. You know, that's where you're pushed to, you know, really, you know, uh, look at the chair button and want to advocate it to somebody else or want to relay it to someone else, to your friends, family, and whatnot, right? In some rare, rare, rare cases, it's another emotion like inspiration or love or something or something that you, makes you really, really feel good, but very, very rare, right? So something that's replicable, um, more practical than a scandal is humor. And I think uh, brands need to take a look at that. You don't have to be only humor. Right, like what Dennis said, there is always a sliver of uh, humor there. But look at humor not just to make somebody laugh, but as what Carl said earlier, it's to you know, it's to make you human. It makes your brand human. It diffuses the situation. It makes it lighter. I um, mean, easier to carry. Um, and I think that is the place of humor in every single marketing uh, message or every single marketing campaign. You don't always have to be like on past that you go on full on humor, and that's that's it for us. And, and the other things is our sliver. Like sometimes we have a sliver of seriousness. Sometimes we have a sliver of, you know, um, being regretful. Um, but, um, and, but humor is our base. Um, so you can have the flip side of that. And I think short videos is definitely, 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 definitely the way to go. I love, love short videos. Um, and for humor, moment marketing is key. And moment marketing, find that balance. Find the balance of, allowing your organization or your community managers to post without approval with certain parameters, okay? Um, because at that moment, when that happens, that needs to get done. And we need, it can be the first or second. When you're third, fourth, fifth, sixth, it's gone. You're either the first or the second, and that's it. Some, sometimes even second doesn't cut it anymore, right? So, um, and then... Learn that balance of without approval, um, putting it up, and how. What are those parameters? And then how do you take it down? And what is your what is your uh, kind of reverse clause, right? What happens when kind of shit hits the fan? Have have a uh, have a uh, SOP for that as well. So 
I think take a take a take a good look at humor um, within your organization, within your marketing uh, initiatives, um, and see w- where there's a role. But at least moving forward, try to put a role there somewhere because it it, it will work. It is the easiest for you to actually push to to a lot more people. Thank you. Very well said, George. I'd like to thank both of you gentlemen. Thank you, Carl Mack of PGAG. Thank you, George Rieka of Ancas for joining us and giving our listeners something to chew on. I'm sure that a lot of them now are thinking um, how they can use punchlines to their advantage, actually. Um, And also for showing us that so much serious thought goes into something that could, you know, be considered frivolous or irreverent and how you're able to transcend boundaries in getting across some very, very um, topical or relevant issues just by making people laugh. Fantastic. Thank you both so much. Thank you very much, Carl and George. All the best for Ancas and also for Pigag. Thanks for having me. But before we let you guys go, could we ask you how people would be able to find you or get in touch with you on social media if they have further questions? Just go on Facebook, Ancas. We're there. You'll see us in it's blue. And for me, it's all on PGAG, uh, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. You can follow us on all social platforms. Thanks a lot, gentlemen. Thank it was great so having you on the show. Once again, a big thank you to Mr. George Royeka of Ancas and Carl Mack of PGAG for sharing their thoughts and insights on the very topical subject of humor. But the program's not over yet. After the break, stick with us as we end the program with a boom, looking at the biggest award winners and most effective case studies from the Boomerang Awards. Join IMAP in shaping the future of digital marketing, along with over 300 corporate members from brands, agencies, advertisers, tech companies, media, and startups. IMAP has spearheaded initiatives to drive digital learning skills development and camaraderie in the industry like IMAP Web Wednesday, Breakfast Roundtables, Virtual Member Meetups, IMAP Academy, Youth Digital Congress, and such. To learn more about IMAP, you may download our free digital book, the only book you'll need for digital, via our official IMAP website at www.imap.com.ph and watch out for future events when you follow us on our social media pages. Welcome back. We are now at the part of the program where we end things with a boom. Today, we are talking about a case study that won at the recent Boomerang Awards. This one took home a bronze in campaign effectiveness. What can you tell us about this one, Dennis? The case that we're going to talk about today, Misha, is quite interesting. It's called uh, TM Scares. And the nice thing about this campaign is that it has a very clear objective. And the objective is how will you convince people not to step out of their home? And if you look at the TM, a mobile company, what's your ano, ambag <laughs> to people not stepping outside, right? But they were able to find um, you know, a, a good integration of their platform through the TM app where people uh, can download or can, can, can load uh, their, their credits uh, to their mobile phones. And what they did was basically serve um, scary stories, scary videos uh, to discourage people to step out from your home. And these stories were collected through different submissions, through social media, also through literature. And they tried to actually compile that and uh, serve that to the TM app when a person is uh, uh, proceeding with their, with their credit loads. So quite interesting, actually, on how, how they were able to, to do it. And it won bronze in mm-hmm. the 
a category for entertainment. What I liked about it was that it played on a very um, a very relatable aspect of Philippine culture, which is that people inherently like to go to the cemeteries on All Saints Day. They want to visit their loved ones because that's the day that generally we believe that the souls are closest to us on that day. And playing on that aspect uh, while tying it into Halloween, which I think was rather clever because people really do need to stay um, indoors as much as possible. You know, we have ongoing COVID concerns. We have lockdowns and all these things. So people really shouldn't be going outside. But they were still able to bring a little bit of that spooky season flavor um, through their app in a way that was actually relevant to their brand uh, by making people buy load. And linking it to our conversation a while ago with Carl and George, if you look at it, there's a sliver of humor there. Oh, you know, for sure. Really like, you know, um, something that will make you roll out of laughter. But if you look at it, it's playful. That's mm-hmm. one thing I like. You know, like, you know, telling stories, telling horror stories is part of Filipino culture. It's also cultural. Um, you know, we usually, we grew up with um, Noli de Castro. <laughs> oh my God. It's <laughs> annual like, Halloween stories. Exactly. So it's mirroring that, um, that, that cultural moment, if you look at it. And the nice thing is that they were able to integrate it well with their product. which is Absolutely. A, so it's via the app and it's via the uh, load facility. And at the same time, have the, it carries the, the, the responsibility of communicating to people that, you know, it's all since they, now is the time to go out to visit your dead people, but no, they will visit. Yeah, maybe you shouldn't, not this year. (laughs) (laughs) Just buy some loads, stay home, hear some scary stories, go watch your Netflix. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Use your load, stay indoors. Good job, TM. And that has been Ending with a Boom. Well, Dennis, um, it's always fun having you on the show. What did you think? It's your first time back after a few months. That, I'm I very that happy fun. to be back, especially with this episode. Um, if you look at it, uh, it's it's there's a cultural movement right now mm-hmm. in the Philippines when it comes to humor, and that is also one of the effect of the pandemic. Um, people would like to escape. There's so much bad news out there, you know, and and so many um, you know un- unnecessary distractions in a way. And with all of us confined in our homes still, we are really looking for escapism. And humor suddenly um, became, um, you know, a very uh, integral part of that um, that, that escapism. And of course, uh, us being communicators, being marketeers, as much as possible, we also would like to be in the front line of culture for our brands. And I think uh, our two speakers were able to really clearly communicate and define how a brand can take part of that cultural revolution, which is humor. Definitely. Um, speaking from my time handling, managing, creating content um, for TBWA for a few years, I just need to say that it's a very real concern that you have clients sometimes. It's either they are completely unwilling to explore alternative areas of me- alternative ways of messaging. Um, because they're not used to it, whether it comes to humor, making people laugh, making people cry, they're not used to subjecting their brands to that kind of messaging. Or alternatively, some people want to force it because they saw another brand do it. They they exactly. have to learn that the same approach doesn't necessarily work for everybody. It is absolutely not one size fits all. 
And for our part, as the as the content creators, as the agency, as essentially the gatekeepers, it's up to us to try and um, manage client expectations, <laughs> to manage um, what they want to see from their campaigns. Otherwise, it just comes across totally inauthentic, which I think that the both guys made a very strong argument for. Your brands have to be authentic, especially if you're going to be doing um, humor, irreverence, um, silliness. But um, you cannot lose sight of what your brand message or what your business purpose is when you're creating these things. And that is also my biggest learning uh, from this conversation. As AC as it may seem, you need to be deliberate in how you use humor in your brand. You need to understand your space in humor. Where are you in the spectrum? What are Absolutely. the and what would fit more to your authentic DNA? And um, yeah, I think that and there's also a science apparently. So Definitely. I mean, if you look at some of these memes, they're, they're, they're ridiculous, right? But a lot of people don't realize that you have to be really smart to be so stupid. And it goes back to the basic of marketing, insight. Just be insightful, you know? You Definitely. Don't, just don't be funny. Be insightful. When you're insightful, then you can make fun out of that insight, right? So I think it's the best. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much, everybody. Dennis, I look forward to seeing you on the next show. I think you haven't missed a step. You've taken a few months away, but you're back. You're better than ever. Looking I'm forward back, to the next I'm back, and really looking forward to the next few episodes. And we will also be highlighting the best of Bijiquan in Bijiquan. So watch out for that. This has been another episode of Digipod, the official podcast of the Internet and Mobile Marketing Association of the Philippines. We are your hosts. I'm Misha. And I'm Dennis. See you soon. Catch our next show. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.